0: Father, would you open the word to us today? We love your word. We'd ask for open ears that hear and eyes that see the things of God. We would have hearts, Lord, that full of faith. We would hear your word with faith. We would believe you. Lord, I pray for the grace that I could speak and let you minister to us. You are our teacher. You are our Lord. We want to be taught and discipled by you. And so, Lord, would you speak clearly through your word today? In your name we ask it. Amen. All right, we're in John chapter 7. Remind you of where we are. We are in Jerusalem. We are there during right now during the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is one of the, the three fall festivals. Uh, the fall for in in, in Israel, which is like right, right about September. Um, it starts with Rosh Hashanah. That's the uh, the first day of the of the calendar year uh, for them. And it start, it's the where they blow the trumpet. You know, and you start your, your, your year. By the way, you know what readings they have that day. I just love this. The readings that day are from are the birth of Isaac, and then Genesis 22, where Abraham takes Isaac and takes him to Mount Moriah and is about to sacrifice him. Remember that? And, and then the angel of the Lord says, "Abraham, hold your hand, and, and he does not and uh, sacrifice Isaac, and there is a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Remember this? So it says Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh, which doesn't mean you get a Cadillac. It means Jehovah Jireh means that in the Mount of the Lord it will be provided, what? A sacrifice. Abraham didn't have to kill his son because God would kill his on that very place, within hundreds of yards of that very place that Abraham is doing this. And every time the ram's horn is blown, you remind God that he will provide a sacrifice for himself. He'll provide his own ram. Isn't that beautiful? So you start the year. Then 10 days later, you have Yom Kippur. Uh, there's these 10 days of awe in which everybody's reflecting on their sins and reconciling with people and preparing their hearts for the Day of Atonement. That's the day the high priest would go into the into the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies. And he would sprinkle the blood seven times on the, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant and seven times on the ground. Um, and and the, he would lay his hands on the, on the animals and, the, and confess the sins of the nation. So that's the Day of Atonement. Five days later, you begin the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths remembers Israel's exodus. And, and so the booths are really not tents. The, they're meant, they brush harbors. Even to this day in Israel, you'll you'll put up these uh, these wooden frames, and then they put palm branches or tree leaves or or reeds on the roof, and you're supposed to see the sun through them. I mean, you see the sky through them, and you'll sleep in those at night if it's not raining, and you'll uh, you'll uh, eat out there in these booths. And what are you remembering? God took us out of bondage in Egypt. And and, and we had to to race across the the desert to get away from from Pharaoh's uh, uh, army. And we slept with brush over us. And And so they're remembering these things. It's in this feast that what I'm going to teach you today takes place. Jesus, it says, on this final year, and this is the last six months of his life. We are in about October. We are about October for this Feast of Booths. And he is, he is within, by spring, he will be crucified. So this is the last six months of Jesus' ministry. He goes down, but he does not celebrate the Feast of Booths this year. Uh, because it's very prophetic, and you'll, you'll see why. He does not celebrate it, but he does go down to Jerusalem so that he can minister to the great crowds. Tens of thousands of people pour into Jerusalem to celebrate this great feast. So he goes down to minister and, and does this. We've seen him where Jesus came in the middle of this week of the Feast of Booths, seven days. Now, John jumps us forward to the last day of the Feast of Booths, which is the seventh day of that week, and this is what happens. Verse 37. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Why don't you say rivers of living water? water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were, were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given... Because Jesus was not yet glorified. John adds that as an explanation. And we'll see that a little bit later. Talking today about thirsty. Did you notice he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus invited everyone who is thirsty to come to him and drink. But who is thirsty? Thirsty for God, that is. You might think the answer is everyone. But that's not so. Everyone should be, but only some are. Spiritual thirst is the longing for more of God. Not God's power, not his gifts, not his blessings, not a miracle, him. Wanting God and wanting his help aren't the same thing. Both acknowledge that he exists, but one comes to him to get something, and the other wants to be closer to him. Do you see the difference? When you talk about God to an awful lot of people, what they think of is the man upstairs or some spiritual power who if they do things right, they can get him to give them the things they need. They need help, they need protection, they need healing, they need a, a, you know, whatever. And so they are coming to God and saying, what do I have to do to make him give me what I want? Mm -hmm. Now that that is actually... Uh, that is pagan religion. That is what every religion on earth does one way or another. You sacrifice this, you offer this, you chant this, you you do whatever it is you need to do to get that person to give you what you need. A better harvest, uh, protection, uh, and you name it. And that's how many people approach the God of the Bible, is it not? Many people basically go, well, I'll go to church and see if that'll help. And the point is, can I get God to give me stuff, give me what I need? It's a very selfish thing. It's not wrong, because we are fundamentally, all of us, selfish, but it is, it's, <laughs> it's not the same as being thirsty. Thirsty for a relationship with him. Thirsty because I want to be with him. I love him, not what he does. Somebody says, I want his face, not his hand. There's a difference, isn't there? That's what, that's what, we're, that's what he's talking about. And I don't know what causes the difference in in people. It it seems that it has to do uh, with how much a person still loves this world. To some, it's an exciting place full of wonderful pleasures and opportunities. Uh, Their goal is to discover how to get more of it. And they resent anyone or anything that gets in their way. But to others, the pleasures of this world have become increasingly disappointing. Most of their human relationships have ended up shallow or worse, and the days and years of their lives seem to fly by. This kind of disappointment creates in them a great loneliness. And when that happens, a dangerous path beckons them. Let me, see, let me stop there for a minute and talk about this. When, I've, when we dedicate children, one of the things that I will often pray, I don't have a formula, I just sort of let it fly, but, but I often find myself saying this, and I bet you've heard it. I'll, I'll lay my hand on that little sweetheart and, and I'll say, Lord God, I just pray for her heart and I pray that, that she will sense your great love and that love will draw her as a magnet and the rest of it, she'll feel lonely when she's away from you and at, at home when she's with you. You ever heard me pray something like that? I... I really mean that, I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying it, I, I'm asking that look, she, this child would experience the love of God uh, intuitively. Uh, I'm asking that, that that sense of being comfortable and safe and in this loving presence would be, be foundational in that child's understanding. I think that happens in very early years, by the way. And, and I, so that when that child is older, and all the temptations and pressures and swirl of the world are there, there will still be this thing inside that's, that feels uncomfortable away from him and wants to be with him. I, I had that. And I, I, you know my story. I met the Lord when I was 12, and I met him in the baptism of the Spirit. It was very powerful. So he was very personal and very real to me. I didn't have a lot of theology, but I did know him. And as I, as I grew up, as I went to college and all, I would, I would, you know, I'm, I'm trying to study and I'm trying to, you know, enjoy the life and, and all these things, but I would find myself getting lonely. N- lonely for God. And it would just come over me in kind of a wave. I wasn't guilty, it wasn't like, you know, I, I should be going to church, I, I mean, I haven't gone to church. It was none of that kind of logic, it wasn't I'm in trouble with God, if I don't do something he's going to zap me. It wasn't fear. It's just raw loneliness. I just missed him. I mean, the world is kind of ugh, and, and And I, and I, I would uh, go in. We, I went to a, a, a Lutheran college. And, and it has this great big stone church. And uh, with, I don't know, thousands of people can sit in this thing. And uh, I'd go in and usually nobody's in there. And, and I'd sit somewhere in the middle of this sea of empty pews. And I just put my head on the pew in front of me. You'd go, oh God, you know, and and I just start talking to him. I just sit with him. Uh, it wasn't a, It wasn't. I, I. I. I wasn't even there necessarily to apologize for everything. I was there to be with him. And he'd come, and I'd get refreshed, and his presence would come, and then it was kind of interesting because I'd restored that relationship, the Lord would often use me. The next 24, 48 hours, I'd have all kinds of divine appointments. And, you know, somebody get baptized in the Spirit or something would happen. And then, and then, of course, I'd die off and go back to being Steve Shell, which is not a pleasant thing. <laughs> uh, it isn't. And uh, I can remember one time uh, my wife and I uh, went on a thing called Global Semester, which was part of the college. And we went around the world for five months and and, and by the time I was in Japan, I was getting really lonely for the Lord. And I remember we were staying in a, in a, in a Buddhist monastery in Kyoto, Japan. And and uh, went up into, the. I, I found my way. I was just, just, I just lonely. I just needed God. And I, and I, I wound up a stairway I just as high as the thing would take me. And what it did is take me right up into the air conditioning ducts. I mean, I got way up in the top of this thing. And you could see out. Uh, you'd see the city of Kyoto, it was nighttime. And I, I sat on an air conditioning duck. And, I, and, I, and I, just, I, I just want to be close to him. And the only thing that came to my mind was the first verses of Psalm 8. You know those, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And as I sat there, I, I, I just said it out loud. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And I, I, and I felt David's heart as he said that. I, I knew what David felt. Because you remember, David loved the Lord. David, is, David is a, was a wonderful man this way. He, he, he loved the Lord and he had an intimate relationship with him. And, and uh, he would worship freely. And, and so I could feel that heart of it. And I just sat there and wept and talked to the Lord. I was just being close to him. That's thirst. Thirst is not wanting something. Thirst is longing For God. Longing to be with him. And for me when I'm with him. I'm whole. And when I'm away from him. I'm empty. And I'm lonely. How about you? This is what we're talking about today. I said there's a dangerous path. When people who are pursuing the world. um, They're hard charging. And they just want more of it. Uh, Okay. Uh, We'll have to wait till they get tired of that usually. Um, But there are those who become disillusioned with the world. And that is a dangerous path because it will either lead them to thirst or to cynicism. And cynicism is a terrible danger. That's where you decide there is nothing more. And boy, does that lead to trouble. Let's have a look at this. A dangerous path. It's cynicism. It's that hopelessness that can grip the human heart when there seems to be no end to the pain and we've discovered we're powerless to stop it. The danger that comes at that moment is that the temptation to stop struggle, struggling and look for ways to numb our pain. The, pardon me, that, that is the danger. Attempt, stop struggling and look for ways to simply numb our pain and then wait for death. And that dangerous path doesn't tempt only those who are in their later years of life. It comes to those who are very young and they see no way to escape their misery. I talk to people, I deal with people, I hear of situations all the time where young men and women, high school age even, have grown to this kind of despair. They have decided there's no way out. They hurt and they handle it some very bad ways. In, in, in what they're doing and all. And they're caught in these things. And you see the emptiness in their heart. And you're sitting there going, you know, sweetheart, there's a way out of this. You know, th- but if you think this is just an old person's problem, you don't you, you know, talk to many people. It is not an old person's problem. This thing of coming to the end and despairing that there is an answer and, 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 and retreating uh, cynically into some kind of medicate self-medication is not just an old person's problem thirsty there are those who do not walk down uh, who do not walk down that path instead of becoming cynical some become thirsty these are the people who lift their eyes to heaven and begin to look for god rather than concluding that there is nothing beyond their five senses their heart tells them that there must be more. They intuitively sense there is a purpose for which they were born. And that someone they can't see has been watching over them all along. And they're humble enough not to blame him for their problems. but Blame their problems on him. In other words, some people think he's there, but they're, they're mad as all get out at him. You know, how did you let this happen and this happen and this happen? That's, that's not kind of where I'm talking about. They are looking for God how many of you no matter what stage you were in your life had some sense you were born for a reason that that, that you were supposed to accomplish something I believe I believe God weaves that into the heart of the human race and that's that's what makes it so bad everybody every child is born with that Uh, we've been having some conversations right now about reaching some of the broken sections of our community and 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 one of the things that's been so strong to me is the sense is when you take a child, all right, Royal Family Kids Camp, you, you take a child who's born in this particular situation and that child has all the statistics to end up on death row. You know 70% of those in death row are, are from foster homes? Yeah, so every, every, they have everything against them. Take that same child and move them over here and put them now in a different set of parents they become the president of the United States. They invent some new medical breakthrough. Same child, put them over here, they end up in prison. Put them over here, they end up president of the University of Washington. Do you follow this? Every human has this God-given capacities, all of us. And then what happens is these, we, the, the, the damage that happens to people the, the, the horror that happens to them. When you rescue a person, you rescued a life. You've rescued a future. You've rescued their children. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it, it's a cascading situation when you rescue individuals. I believe everyone knows, and this is what makes depression so deep, and what makes us so angry, is we have a sense we were made for something great. And you are. You're made for eternal work. And then when we watch our lives end up in these horrible situations, we're confused, we're angry, and we realize we've failed. That's the pain of it all. It's at this juncture, this dangerous moment, when our human hopes and plans have failed, that we become either cynical or thirsty, angry or humble, passive or watchful, closed or open. And I assume that dangerous, moment, that dangerous moments come to everyone at some point in their lives. Because the promises that this world makes are ultimately lies and they disappoint us sooner or later. Can I get an amen? amen. When that happens, the key question is, who do we blame? Ourselves or God? Those who blame God can be pretty hard to reach. They see themselves as victims of abuse by a cruel creator. But those who blame themselves are able to look for meaning beyond this present help. They become thirsty and that thirst can lead them to Jesus. My reaction when I, as a younger man was to blame myself. I was, the depression I had had everything to do with this. I have been so stupid how could I have made these particular choices or decisions in my life? And I was, I was furious at myself for having ruined my, my life and potential through the dumb things I'd done. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, that, that, was, that was where I went. Uh, I didn't figure it was God's fault. I figured I was just an idiot, uh, man, which is pretty close to the truth, I think. And anyway, my, my mother was, was, was thirsty when I was little. Um, my parents separated when I was 18 months old. They divorced when I was two years old. Um, I barely saw my father. I think I saw him once when I was five, that kind of thing. But I didn't know he was dead or alive. So another, just, that's the history of it. My mother was, was depressed. My mother was alone. She's raising me. Um, she'd been raised in, a, in something of a Christian home, but none of it really took for her. And so she did not have that, and she had depression, she had anger, um, she was struggling. But here's what I so appreciate about my mom. She didn't grow cynical, she grew thirsty. And so she starts looking. She's looking for something. She's look, she's, there's got to be some answer here. And so she carted us to all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, I mean it. I was a couple years, I was in the Christian Science Church. I had my little box of things with Mary, Mary Baker Eddy and Key to the Scriptures, you know. <laughs> Science and Health and Key to the Scriptures. I, I mean, I, she doesn't know. He's gonna, we're just looking. We're looking for help here. Um, she took us to a couple of seances. I, I still vividly remember them. Uh, they had this black velvet painting on the wall with a face on it. And they, and they turned all the lights <laughs> off and had this light on that thing. And they talked to it. And by George, I think it talked back. Um, uh, and I do, and, and it, it was just eerie. I mean I oh, you know. And uh, so what she's looking. Now, that, the, the thing about her is that search, that thirst, ended up getting her invited to a prayer meeting with a group of a little group of, group of Episcopalians and out in, out in the desert. I mean, who would do this? But my mother would) <laughs> She would, and she got us. So out we go uh, to this little group, and it's a charismatic uh, Episcopalians, if you can imagine the picture of that. And and uh, it was very strong at the time. I mean, but um, and 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 the power's there, and and both of us got zapped by the power. Nobody touched us, but the power was there. My mom got us under the spout where the glorious comes out because she was thirsty. Do you follow this? She was looking for God. She was looking for help. And I am I'm eternally grateful. Not a lot of people would take us where my mom took us. We saw all sorts of stuff. And that didn't stop, by the way, when we got saved. <laughs> and now I'm grateful. Uh, hallelujah. Uh, I'll just remind you of John uh, 7, 38 and... And uh, 37 and 38 there, I just want you to hear this afresh, and then I'll read that. Now on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John now takes us forward to the last day, the great one, literally, of the feast. So that we can listen to Jesus as he uses another Old Testament symbol to reveal his identity as the Messiah. The last or seventh day of the Feast of Booths was, was and is called Hoshana Rabbah. Can you see the word Hoshana? What's that sound like to you? Exactly, it's what it is, Hosanna. And Rabbah uh, means great. So Hoshana Rabbah, the, the, the great Hosanna, <laughs> which means great praise. Each day during this festival, a priest, priest walked from the temple... Down to the pool of Siloam at the south end of the city of David. By the way, the remains of that pool uh, have been discovered reasonably recently. And it's no question what it is. The five steps Jesus, or John describes are all there. Everything's there. And so they have found and covered uh, part of that. It's uh, south end of the city of David, the source of that water was the ancient spring of Gihon. It was a distance of about one half mile. And as he walked, a joyous procession accompanied him. The priest carried a golden pitcher able to carry, contain about two pints of water. And after dipping it into the pool, he carried it back to the temple. When he arrived, ram's horns and silver trumpets were sounded. And the priest took the water to the great altar of burnt offering and poured it out before the Lord." And then I give you a huge list of references because I had to read all of those to get what I just gave you. (laughs) This is one of the problems is there's so little understanding of Judaism and we're trying to deal with Jewish issues all the way through. And so you got to put it back together to even see what's Jesus saying on that day. What's the point of this? And um, so I put that in there. So if you want to reference this and research it, you can do that. There it is. I read them all and more actually. All right, so so the priest on the on on this day Hoshana Rabbah, he does it every day of the seven days, but Hoshana Rabbah is the great praise, uh, and 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 he takes they take uh, uh, the, the the pitcher, and he will go with a procession, and there's music, and they and they're singing the uh, the, the the praise psalms, like 113 to 100. 18, the those all the ones that go praise the Lord, Hoshana. They're, they're singing those things as they go, and uh, people follow him down. And he goes down to the, to the, to the pool and dips the, the, the pitcher and then takes this pitcher back uh, up to the temple. It goes in there, the southern, southern wall of the temple. And it will go right up to the burnt offering. You go up the ramp and then stands there and pours that pitcher of water into the corner of the uh, altar of burnt offering, as everyone's watching this. And, and as they do it, they're, they're, they're singing Psalm uh, 118. By pouring out that pitcher of water onto the altar, the priest was symbolizing three things. First, it reminded everyone that God provided water in the desert during the Exodus. Remember that? The rock? Okay. Number two, it was a prayer for rain at the end of the dry season. Feast of Booths is the very, very end of the dry season. And three, it was a prophetic symbol of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which the Messiah would bring at the end of the age. That's not me reading that in. That is absolutely what they thought of. Uh, Read some of those verses. But Zechariah 14 in particular uh, literally says, Messiah will come and celebrate the Feast of Booths. And so um, Israel is, this is a great, it's it's not only water, but God, you'll pour out your spirit when Messiah comes. That's that's what's being symbolized. Jesus cried out. Psalm 118 was chanted during this ceremony. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip to that and read you just a little bit of Psalm 118, so you can kind of get a feel for that. You know some of this section. I'll start at verse 22. The stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Have you heard that verse? This is messianic. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. You recognize this is Palm Sunday chanting also. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal sacrifice with the cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and and I give you thanks. Thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness, his mercy is everlasting. And it may have been at the moment when all the voices died down. That Jesus stood to his feet and cried out in a loud voice. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Uh, Pardon me and the one who believes in me as the scripture said out of his belly will flow rivers of living water his voice must have startled the worshipers and outraged the religious leaders ordinarily the temple guard would have immediately arrested anyone who dared to interrupt the services but they along with everyone else were profoundly moved by his words come to me jesus used symbolic language to tell that assembly that he was their Messiah. By coming to him in faith, a person could receive the promised indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Just as the Gihon Spring provided water for thirsty people all year round, those who believed in him would receive a constant supply of God's presence because the Holy Spirit himself would take up residence inside them. The Feast of Booths comes at the end of the dry season. No rain normally falls for six or seven months. So by the end of summer, the springs begin to dry up, the cisterns are empty, and the water that's left has gone bad. So by pouring out some of their precious water on the altar, the people were calling on God to send rain and declaring that they were confident that He would do so. After all, Israel was thirsty in the desert, and water had poured forth out of a rock. You remember the stories. Strike the rock. Exodus 17. Uh, let me read you some of that. Why don't we do, just have a look. Just so you, you've got this in your head. Because this is the backdrop for this whole thing. Exodus 17 for a moment. We are two months out having left Egypt. We're headed across, That we've gone past through the Red Sea. We are on the other side, and we are there uh, near uh, Mount Sinai. We're approaching Mount Sinai. And uh, they come to a place called Rephidim, which is just a matter of a few miles uh, from, the, from Mount Sinai itself. And there was no water for the people to drink. And therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to do to this people a little more and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. And take take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Do you hear that? Literally, God says, I'll stand in front of that rock. By the way, Horeb is the mountain range of which Sinai is one of the peaks. I'll stand there before you uh, at, at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. And he named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel. They tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Let's go back to our discussion. About two months after leaving Egypt, Israel ran out of water. They were camped at a place not far from Mount Sinai called Rephidim. The people angrily complained to Moses. And I read you that already. On this first occasion, Moses was instructed to strike the rock. Say strike the rock. And water poured out into the desert enough for over a million people to drink. Now speak to the rock and I'll just read you this. Forty years later, after this striking the rock, 40 years later, after all but three of the original generation which left Egypt had died, or or nearly all, I think Aaron's still going too, I, I forgot that. Moses led a young nation back to the southern border of Canaan. And as they passed through the wilderness of sin, there was no water. Sadly, this young generation responded just like their parents. They told Moses they wished they had died with their parents rather than live in that desert. They wanted to return to Egypt. Let's, let's just stop for a second. You see what's happened the first generation refused to, to have the faith to, to enter in the land. They said, There's giants in the land, they're gonna kill us all. And you remember, it's, just a, it's a mess. So God takes them back into the wilderness, and they all, the entire generation dies out. Everyone 20 years and older dies out. So picture this here's Moses. I mean, he started at 80, he's now at 120. So come on, you think, you think I'm old? And Moses is, is there, and he's got all of these young people. This is like a bad Boy Scout trip, you know what I mean? <laughs> you've got all these kids, and you're this old guy, and you hurt. And, and you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to take this thing. And his hope was that the young ones would have the faith their parents didn't have. You follow this? So now, with this young generation now, we'll, we'll be able to take the land. And then when the, when the young ones talk like their parents and sound just like their unbelieving parents, he loses it. And I can't blame him. I mean, he's just furious. He's broken hearted. Here's what we hear. The Lord told Moses, Take the rod and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock. Say speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock. But Moses was furious. These youth, he had hoped, would have the courage to enter the promised land were behaving just like their elders. In his anger, he gathered the assembly and said, listen now, you rebels. (laughs) And he uses the word mara. It's a nasty word. I mean, it means bitter. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And then he lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly. He was supposed to speak to it. The Lord stands in front of this rock. What did he do? He took his rod and just whangs this thing twice. That's rage, isn't it? He's, he's, He's lost it. He's furious. You rebels! Wang, wang, and he hits this thing. If I were God, nothing would have come out of that rock. <laughs> right, right. Then he, he, he bang, bang, bang. <laughs> I'd have just left him standing there, but I'm not. Anyway, if the water poured out abundantly. That's just mercy. That is so kind of the Lord, <laughs> right about there. The water pours out, but. But Moses has done something terrible. The Lord said, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Notice this. You have violated me, says God. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. The reason Moses' mistake mattered so much is because God intended that rock to be a prophetic symbol of Jesus Christ. Just as he is the serpent who was lifted up, and the manna sent from heaven, and the Passover lamb whose blood delivers us from death, he is the rock in the wilderness that pours forth streams to quench our spiritual thirst. According to God's plan of salvation, the Messiah was to be struck only once by being crucified for our sins. But after that, when thirsty believers come to him, they need only ask him, speak to him, and he will satisfy them with rivers of living water. You see it? That's why, I think that's the primary reason. He had to discipline Moses publicly. Moses violated an important type that was teaching the Messiah. He will be struck, but he will then after that, you will speak to him and living water will pour out. You will come to him and only ask. And here Moses wangs away on it. Uh, and uh, yes, it was anger and all of those other things. Uh, but he violated something really important. It's wonderful, drink. It's wonderful for those who are saved to know that they have become righteous in God's sight. And will go to heaven when they die. But that knowledge alone doesn't quench our thirst to be closer to God. I want to read again verse 39, so you just again have this fresh in your mind. John has told us what Jesus did there on the first Taboos, how he stood up and basically presented himself as that, that great rock and said, If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke, John says. John's now going to clarify for us. What's he talking about? Is he talking about salvation? Or is he talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is Jesus talking about? And so we are certain, John will explain to us, so we'll know. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In this verse... John explains that what Jesus was promising that day was not salvation, but a miraculous encounter with the Holy Spirit, which John himself received along with thousands of others after Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. That's what it means by glorified. He says for this reason, he says this for a reason. He's telling us, his readers... That now that Jesus has been glorified, this promise which he spoke on the last day of the Feast of Booths is available to us. We can have what John had. God's Spirit dwelling within us in such abundance that there will be more than enough to refresh others. But it all starts with being thirsty, of longing to be closer to God, Did you notice the picture Jesus says? He doesn't just say, I always heard it, I'll just admit. I always heard this promise, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, and I thought, all the water I need. How selfish is that? You know, I have enough, I have more than enough, yea, for me. It is true. But what he's, picture this, if you realize we're talking about the rock in the wilderness. He says, if you come to me, out of your innermost being. Whose? We become a rock. Out of us will flow rivers of living water. To refresh others. We become like the rock in the wilderness. Full of his spirit. Isn't that amazing? When I, um, when I received the Lord at, at, as a young boy, 12 it was so real and profound to me. I thought to myself, why this is it. This is what the world is waiting for. When everyone finds out that you can have this kind of encounter with, with, the, with the living God and how real and powerful he is, this will awaken the church. This will turn America around. This is what we were waiting for. This is the match that will light the fire. And, and it does whenever it has touched people. But what I had not counted on was the lack of thirst. And over the years, I've watched it, and I've watched, I've watched people get, I've watched people go from, sort of just weariness, and hanging on in their religion, to becoming on fire, and and, and full of life, by being baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking here about salvation. He's saying you can have, the Spirit of God dwell in you, as was promised. As the Scripture said, did you see that phrase? He said, As the Scripture said, I am not kidding. I, I read a commentary and it may have been two. One guy said, There is no scripture in the Old Testament that says the Holy Spirit will dwell within you. I I thought, what are you stupid? <laughs> Ezekiel thirty six, Ezekiel thirty seven, Jeremiah thirty one, do you just blah, 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 blah. You know, I thought it's 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 taught blindness. There is a conspiracy, there is an an aggressive work, theologically, biblically, in churches and everything else, which have gone hammered against this. You'll get into most of these Christian commentaries, and they will say, this is not the baptism of the Spirit. This is not what he's talking about, because it clearly is. It's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about Pentecost. He said it hadn't happened yet, but it will. Why? I don't really know why. Because what has happened, instead of having this wonderful fire that spread through the church and revived our country, we've had, we've had charismatic, now I'm embarrassed to use the word because it's become just squirrely stuff. And, and, and because all of the mainline denominations and people who should have picked it up and said, yes, let's go, they all fought it like tooth and nail. I don't understand But I will say to us, are you thirsty? Because what what will turn the country around is not just a theology. It's not enough to have someone say, he loves you and you're forgiven. Yes, I'm glad it's true. But I need God to touch me. I need to know I'm clean. I need to have him come to me. People are lonely, not just sinful. They long for more than just having their sins removed. They long for a relationship with a God who made them for Himself. He's our Father, not our acquitter. Do you follow this? I encourage you: be not just open to, not passively open. Seek all of the presence of God you can have. You and I who have been baptized in the Spirit, we need to stay full of the Spirit. It needs to be something we don't grow passive about. If you stop worshiping, you stop pressing in, you stop hearing the word, you become the same old you, and that's not good. You need to allow his presence to refresh you. Uh, I can have a river of living water, but I have to drink from it, or I grow dry. I have to stay close. And those who have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I, I understand some of you have tried, and then you felt it didn't happen, and maybe God doesn't really want to give it to you. That is not true at all. I... I sit with people after people, many of whom who have, who have sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit but have not been able to receive it for, for one reason or another and have decided often that maybe it's not for them and, and, and this kind of thing. And I sit with them, just pastor them a little bit, and bang, they come through. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's for all of us. Please be thirsty. Please want this. And let me tell you something. For many of us, that it is not going to be released without releasing our tongue. And this is what we all get all knotted up about, is this fear of speaking in tongues. Somehow, when I surrender to the Lord, it's full surrender. I cannot say I'll surrender everything but my tongue. It doesn't work. I have to let him have that tongue. And when you become saved, when you, believe in, when you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are righteous you are loved, the wrath of God is gone, you are, the, you are a child of God and heaven is waiting for you. And you have been given, because Christ is yours, everything. But that is not the same thing as receiving everything. It does not mean because I've been given this wonderful gift of the Spirit, I have received the power of the Spirit. Do you follow this? And so I just encourage you, reach out and say, Lord, I want all. I want, I want your baptism, I want those rivers in me. Not just knowing I'm forgiven. I want to know you abide in me. And, and you can do this at home alone. You can, or you all, someone will pray for you. It, it's you and the, Jesus. He's the baptizer. Just come to him and say, I want this. And be open to allow a prayer language to come out. It's not psychological. You don't get yourself worked up. You don't drum, beat drums and get yourself oiled down. It is not. I mean, people portray it as all sorts of insanity. It is not that. It's a very vulgar way to speak about something in which you suddenly have a, a prayer language and you don't know where it comes from. But it's right from the spirit. Your spirit, praying past your understanding to the Lord. It's sweet. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And it somehow steps us It releases something, and I see it over and over again. If I didn't believe this after ministering to many of you, now I do, and I watch you when you release that your tongue, when you let that wonderful gift flow into your life, you light up, and your walk seems to change. Mine did, but I I, I figured I'm an anomaly, but you do too, you do too. So be open to this, I just encourage you. Are we thirsty? That's what the world's waiting for. It's waiting for people full of the Holy Spirit. Not, not just people pleased that they're going to heaven. People that have the love and power of God in their lives. People that, that have a relationship. That will revive America. Religion won't. Would, would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we hear you. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as the scripture said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Lord, the scripture does say it. And you have brought it. And we are thirsty today. All of us. We want more of you. We want a a relationship with you. We we, we are grateful for for the biblical truths we know. But we are lonely for the God we love. And we pray for your presence and power to be with us and fill us and strengthen us. Till we are like rocks ourselves out of which flow rivers of water for others. Until there's an overflow of our lives. Till we are overflowing Christians. Oh God, fill us, strengthen us. The, the re, what you have given us is, is as real now as it's ever been. And it will change our families. It will change our homes. It will change everything around us as it always has. Lord, we we refuse to be cynical. We refuse to grow despairing and medicate and grow angry. We choose to be thirsty. We choose to want more of you. And to be open to all that you will bring in our lives. Make us thirsty. And Lord, we come to you for rivers of living water we receive. If that is your prayer, would you agree with me and say amen? amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.